This is an energy sport podcast. Insightful, in-depth and entertaining sports content from Napier to you. This is the Football Roundup, energy sport's longest running football show. Each week our team of football writers and podcasters deliver their views on the weekend's action from Scotland, England and the wider world of football. With our panel bringing knowledge, insight and passion, you can be rest assured of quality from each episode of the Football Roundup. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Football Roundup, Energy Sports longest running football show. My name is Jack Donnelly and we know we've been a bit lackluster with podcasts in the last couple of weeks or so, but we've been a bit more social, we've been getting out, we've been seeing people again, people have moved up to uni, it's been more opportunities for going out and socialising, so you'll have to have to just deal with that as an apology, there's not much of an excuse, but we're back now, so that that's all that really matters and we are back, I say, and there's three beautiful men in this call with me on this uh, Monday afternoon. The first of which is the only one unmuted at the moment, so I'll introduce him first. Mr. Struan Garvey, hello, mate. Oh, hello. I see uh, everybody else was muting, that's my bad. But um, <laughs> how's it going? I'm, I'm good to be here. You're, you're good to be here, not happy I'm to good be to here. be here, so my brain is clearly not turned on yet. But um, yeah, I am happy to be here. It's, t- it's not turned on at uh, 20 to 4 in the afternoon. It was turned on, and then we had some dissertation work, and it decided to just switch off. It had done enough for the day at that point. I can, I can respect it. And uh, I'll preface this now. I feel like this podcast is just going to be a bit chaotic, but that's the kind of energy that everyone's brought to the call this afternoon. But we're here for it. sport we bring to the call. That's enough from Struan. Uh, we've also got Mr Cameron Wonstall, who's still dealing with the fallout of uh, having COVID, potentially, yeah, you would say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. Yep. You, it's you that can see it every time I go on mute and then the, the little audio levels will just like spike to red <laughs> it's because I'm choking to death basically um, lovely it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun yeah mate would you I, recommend I, don't, I was about to say I do not recommend no, okay, I do right. not recommend to people to get Covid and deal with the after effects just don't do it so and everyone knows that what Cameron recommends you have to go by so if he's recommending not getting Covid then everyone listening probably shouldn't get Covid should, yeah no, or they should because my opinions are usually so, so, so what you ju- you just encourage every listener to go and get COVID? Yep. Right. Okay. <laughs> Don't get the vaccine. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh no. <laughs> well, that's stay then. Uh, <laughs> uh, Graham's also here. Graham Sinclair is gonna try and even like he's gonna beat that level of nonsense. I'm sure at some point in the next hour. Uh, Cam. He's back from injury, but you can tell he's lacking match fitness. That would be my explanation. <laughs> That's your this. analysis of Cameron. Yeah, I am always co- lacking match fitness, but always. Uh, he's not, not going to get that last call when he's getting him suspended 100%. <laughs> That's a disgrace. He's, he's Steven Gerrard at Anfield against Manchester United. That was mental is that we're requiring a vaccine certificate to join this podcast feed. And Cam showed this. <laughs> Cam's doctor has he actually just it's took Sean's. He's just, just trying to get, like, he's one of those, like, Fox News guys that actually don't really care about what they, don't think, agree about what they're saying, but they say they get some shit tons of money. He's just trying to be edgy. Big, big edgy Cam. You can see that with the the, the bunnet he wears on, in uh, Rose Match Days as well. <laughs> all for attention. All, it's all everything's all for attention. Everything's for attention. By the way, people, please get the vaccine. Put yeah, out do it. Cover your back now, Shumped. you big fraud. Uh, I know, I'm sorry. Uh, obviously, we usually start this podcast with a big question, and we do have one this week. Uh, we had a dis- bit of a discussion as a group of friends rather than a, a group of colleagues at some point over the last few days when it was announced that Scotland uh, would be facing a quadruple header 
in uh, June of 2022 with the Nation League, Nations League ties, one of which we could potentially end up getting drawn to Ireland. And we were discussing how good it would be to get a big footballing trip with a lot of us over uh, drinking in Dublin before a, before a football match uh, against Ireland. So with that in mind, I wanted to know what everyone's uh, ideal footballing holiday would be, where they would like to take themselves on a trip that would somehow involve a bit of football, whether watching or just even taking in uh, the essence of football in the, in the place. I've gotten far too theoretical, far too fairy-like with that uh, analysis. But uh, we're here now, so Struan, where would you most want to go in terms of a footballing holiday? Do you know, I think I think I might come across as quite boring when I say this, but I'd love to visit Norway because some of the grounds that you see in Norway are absolutely fantastic. Just some of the scenery in that country, I think, is absolutely brilliant. And it's a really big footballing country. Like, it's not really known for it, exactly. I mean, in terms of great players, I mean, Erling Holland's just gone through, but you don't really, not many great Norwegian players exactly spring to mind. But it's just a country I'd love to Not the manager of your club, no. Well, yeah, he's definitely one of them, but, yeah. <laughs> You're not happy I mean, with him just now? No, I'm not, I'm not the best pleaser with them at the moment, but I mean, do you know what I mean? It's not it's not a country that you associate with producing great footballers or, the, you know, your Brazils, etc. But it's a country I just think is absolutely lovely, to be honest. I've, I've never actually been. Just the, the sceneries that you see online and some of the football pitches just look fantastic, to be perfectly honest. Fair enough. I, I, can, I can absolutely... But would uh, any particular club you would want to go and visit in Norway or just any any that would have you? I think any that would have. I'd love to see a national game. Scotland versus Norway. That would be an interesting one. I'd love to see Erling Holland up against Jack Hendry. I mean, I mean, we know what the end result of that clash would be. With uh, oh, Erling, Erling Holland, Holland trying to come, trying to win a penalty because there'd be no other ways getting past. There'd be absolutely no other way. It would just be painfully embarrassing for for the big forward up against our own Jack Hendry. Uh, might have a little bit more on the Scotland squad a bit later on, but uh, before we get there, uh, Graham, how about yourself? Uh, where where are you most wanting to jet off on your travels? Well, I'm assuming with the question that. Money isn't a factor. I mean, no, kind of no, go, you go wherever you want. Yeah. And so with that being the case, I think for me, the place I want to go is down to Argentina to see a Boca Juniors game. Oh, good. Yeah, I like that. And just that atmosphere, that stadium is incredible. Argentinian football is kind of scary. To look yes. Uh-huh. It doesn't seem like the friendliest of atmospheres, but something that would be a once in a lifetime experience, I think. But particularly if, if you manage to get lucky and get a rubber play game, I don't think that would ever happen. Uh, but yeah, I think that's just that's kind of like the traditional like, number one and only like a football fans bucket list is usually like go down to South America yeah. and see Boca Juniors and the law and La Bombonera. So that and it's cliche, but like it's number one for a reason. No, definitely, I it definitely stands out for those reasons you've already mentioned. So I mean, no shame in that one. Uh, Cameron, what about yourself? I mean, I'm a bit offended that no one's decided that they want to take a wee seaside jaunt down to Ayrshire to go and see a United, but. You know what? I'll I'll, ju- I'll just need to take it and move on. I suppose, and l- unless you're gonna change my mind, you're gonna change my perception at this point. Jack, I think you could have the classic XI for the old FIFA's at Somerset, and I still wouldn't go, mate. I've got to say. Yeah. That, that's Shannon Somerset Hill. It's <laughs> a lovely wee ground. <laughs> oh, joking. You know that I care. I would love to go to Somerset, mate. We'll do it soon. We will do but, it soon. Um, no, I'm I'm going to, I'm going abroad. Um, I've always said Germany, like always. I know it's quite a mm. quite a typical answer, but uh, before COVID, me and my mates had planned to go to Germany for like a whole weekend away, taking a game or two. Well, yeah. There's just so many great stadiums. Um, like I mean, I think you obviously want to say um, the signal of doing at Dortmund. I know a hipster's pick nowadays is Union Berlin because it's hidden away in the forest. Yeah. It's a grand wee stadium, but I quite like Mainz as a team. They're pretty hopeless, but I sort of just like back them sometimes just sometimes like to look at the results i know they have a great wee stadium so i'll go for mines instead of dortmund or union berlin 
I like that. Where, where did you plan to go uh, initially? Because I think Green well, was asking. It barely... It, oh, sorry, I didn't know about that. Um, I think originally it was probably just going to be Dortmund if we had the chance to go there because if we went somewhere else and it was rubbish, we'd be like, crap, we waste it because we know that the Dortmund are surefire a great holiday because so many people yeah. have done it and it's just probably one of the greatest stadiums in the world. So uh, I think we were going to do Dortmund. But then if there was like another game close by, like on a train, like or maybe on the Sunday or the Friday night before, um, that would have been the plan. Hopefully after all this settles down a little bit, and I do get my vaccine, because I will be. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to stop mentioning that now for Good, the whole podcast yeah. until people believe me. Um, <laughs> um, hopefully we'll be able to do it, because it's a... Even generally, just like pints and stuff, drinking the stadiums, it's an amazing day out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, uh, I kind of had, had a couple of ideas. I thought maybe I, w- I was in the same vein of Graham kind of thinking money's not exactly going to be an object, so I thought, how far afield can I take myself? Maybe go across, try and get... Uh, game in Australia potentially just for the just for the look on the yeah. Gold Coast potentially go see some uh, J One League in Japan, uh, but I think what I settled on because I've not been to a game at the stadium I've been to the stadium itself but I've not seen a game I'd just love to do Barcelona, like just yeah. go a uh, new camp, just taking it taking a game taking the atmosphere I know it's not exactly the best of times for Barcelona at the moment but they're they're a club that are just going to be timeless and I think you just really need to take in a game whenever you get the opportunity presented it to you. And having been in Barcelona for a few days when I was 15, I want to say, I, I really, really enjoyed my time there. I think it's a lovely city and I really, really want to go back and visit one day soon, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got a good, good range of uh, destinations we'll want to potentially target in the next uh, next few years or so. Of course, we'll all get it, we're all going to get to experiences on a graduate salary, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so it might be a bit of a pipe dream for the, for the next wee while. But, uh, we've got a summer set. Exactly, we've got Somerset to tide us all up until then, uh, <laughs> thankfully, so it swings around about really, isn't it? Uh, let's talk about some football that actually happened over the weekend, as Graham said in the group chat, it is time to chew the fitba, as was the old name for the segment. Uh, Graham, would you, where would you like to start? I'll give you the option, what game would you like us to talk about first? Uh, I think the most interesting game of the weekend was at Time Castle. Okay, why do you think it was the most interesting game of the weekend? Because Hearts probably produced their best performance under Robbie Nielsen in his second tenure at the club. And they are currently still undefeated in the Scottish Premiership. They are. That's why I, th- I think that game is probably the most noteworthy of the weekend for me. Uh, in particular, I think Jamie was raving about Cammy Devlin. He was, uh, yes. Saying it was, I think it's Australian. He yeah, is Australian, up. yeah, you're right. And in that they have a formidable centre midfield partnership in Benny Beningame and uh, Cammy Devlin now, so that's I think that's strong. Mm-hmm. I just think things are looking up for Hearts, and well, I don't think they'll end up unbeaten this season, or if, I don't think they'll challenge the league title. They are surpassing the expectations that I had set for them. Yeah, I think they're doing that. They're passing expectations that a lot of people had set for them. I mean, certainly I had them. Uh, finishing seventh, I believe, in my pre-season predictions. So I think they're really kind of going above and beyond and really blowing people's expectations away. Uh, Cam, this was one of the few results that you said that you were aware of coming into this podcast yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as as a Hearts fan yourself, I mean, you must have been pleased with that. I mean, that's the first top flight win over Livingston since two thousand and five. Yeah. Um, no, it's a great result because they have been sort of a bogey team for us. Um, I mean, that that absolute humiliation we got at the Tony Mac a few years ago will never 
ever get out of my brain. I remember watching that on telly when they smacked us. I think it was 5 0 to beat us. Um, probably the most embarrassing day in our history. And we've been relegated twice in the last decade. Um, but no, it's really good news. And I just think that the fact we're still unbeaten, I wouldn't have guessed that. I, I didn't think maybe as low as 7. I think I put us like 5th or 6th, but I would never have expected us to go 7 games unbeaten starting against Celtic, playing Aberdeen. Um, a game against Hibs, who I, I thought Hibs were going to be absolutely fantastic this season. And they, they have been as good as us. I think they're pretty much level on points, wins, draws, uh, goal difference and everything. But they certainly didn't show us much. I think mm -hmm. we could finish above Hibs this season based on that performance and their performances since. And um, no, no, a really good win. And I heard Michael Smith scored an absolute screamer. So it's good to see he's still the best right back in Britain. <laughs> that, 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 there's a massive claim. But I mean, to be fair, with the finish on him, I mean... It's a case to be made, I suppose. He uh, only scores worldies, mate. I'm telling you. <laughs> I think what's exciting about Hearts is that their tra like the end of their transfer window was absolutely superb. I thought, and yeah. they rounded out that squad. I agree. Yeah, they, I thought they lacked. I predicted them to finish seventh in our season previous, but they really like changed the team. I think from the one that we made the predictions on getting Woodburn and Mackay on the wide depth. So now they have Mackay, Stephen, Janelli, Mackay. And uh, I'm just missing everybody. Woodburn, those four now have the options. That's ridiculous for a club that are not in low firm level. You've got Liam, Liam Boyce is one of the top strikers in the league. Yeah, their depth across the board is 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 now there for that club. And although they've stuck, they've stuck with it about the whole time, there is a feasible way that Hearts could change to adapt and make different formations. They could go to four at the back again, and I think it would still work. So it's it's really really exciting times. I suppose they did see a bit more of a change in system uh, in the trip to Dingwall uh, last weekend against Ross County and that didn't pan out exactly how Robin Nielsen hoped it did, obviously dropping the two goals to County and having to settle for a draw in the end. But, I mean, it still wasn't lost. They were able to maintain their undefeated run up until that point and they were massively, massively improved on uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, Struan, how have you kind of viewed Hearts' season thus far in this game especially? I mean... As a fan of the of the Leith, uh, the Leith Warriors themselves in Hibs, I mean, are are they are they real kind of contenders with Hibs this season? You would say. I mean, they kind of have to be at this point. Yeah, I think definitely. From a Hibs point of view, you need to be worried about Hearts right now. I think Graham summed that up perfectly. You know, I, I remember at the start of the season talking about predictions. I think I just put Hearts in the top half of my table. I think I had them sixth. And I believe the question at that time was really, you know, could could Hearts crack the top half of the table? And, and now it's sort of moved to could Hearts crack European football? And I think that's a testament to just how well they've played. You know, Robbie Nielsen's made the point a few times that they've already played three of the top four from last season and haven't been beaten once yet. You mm -hmm. know, a victory over Celtic on the opening day. Things are just looking great. You know, in the game against Hibs as well, has a really good performance. I thought Hearts were the better team coming out of that game. I know I know Hibs were away and you think, you know, it's better to, to get the point away from home, but I thought Hearts looked really good and from that game they've only strengthened. Cammy Devlin is getting so much praise on Twitter and social media across the board and I think rightly so he's looking really strong. Mm -hmm. Benny Beningame has just been one of the best players in the entire Premiership this season. The Cinch Premiership, I should say. He's been absolutely phenomenal to be honest I'm I'm so jealous I remember when he was initially linked and, and Cameron and I were talking about him and we didn't really know what to make of him coming from Everton but he's been absolutely incredible and I think this whole Hearts team have just been fantastic to be honest it's one of the, one of those moments where you see every area your midfield your attack the goalkeeper the defense is all just looking really strong and I'm not quite sure where Hearts are going to drop points at the first point I'm, I'm sure they won't go unbeaten this season but at the same time I'm just I'm just not sure where they're going to drop points they just seem to have that rhythm at the moment. Like they just any sort of adversity they come up against, they can deal with it fairly comfortably. And I think Robin Nielsen's gone a long way in 
swinging a few of his doubters around to his side based on uh, his side's performances this season. Uh, Graham, just quickly before we move on, just a touch on Livingston. I mean, obviously, they were in absolute dreamland last weekend when they ran out 1-0 winners against Celtic, that uh, Andrew Shinney strike stealing the three points, but they'd really just come crashing down to Arthur in this fixture and just look to get absolutely nothing out of this game. Yeah, although it's a very tough week to to go, to start a home to Celtic and beat that team and then go to Ibrox in the Cup and then face a rested Hearts team is very hard for them. Mm. But I think we know what level they're going to be in a basement battle in, in this one on Saturday. They weren't in it at all. Hearts had this game wrapped up in the first half. Uh, there's a couple of issues, Lovey, that Bruce Anderson's not really panned out how they wanted him to and they don't really have a direct striker replacement. And mm. I know Shinny's been playing as a false nine and scoring against Celtic, but I'm not sure that's a long-term solution. I think there's a few Lovey fans that are questioning David Martindale and some of his tactics. He seems to be trying to fit over a lot of uh, round pegs and square holes. Mm. But at the moment, they're still they're not in well, they're not in 11th and they're, they, have, they have a massive win this season already against one of the Giants. So there's something there to build on. No, it definitely is. And as we've seen from this Livingston team in the last year or so, they really can just brick in and get results when and if they need them most. Uh, we'll move across from Gorgie to Leith as Hibs finally broke their hoodoo over St Johnson. I think they'd only won once in their previous eight matches against the Saints uh, coming into this one, but a 1-0 victory via a Martin Boyle penalty. It sealed all three points for Hibs at Easter Road. Struan must be happy with that one, considering the, the kind of monkey on the back coming into it of uh, not being able to really kind of get past it, Jonathan, in recent times. Thank God, eh? Like, just, I've hated St. Johnston. Even though Hibs are unbeaten this season, it was a fixture. I was just very nervous about coming into it. But Hibs came away with the win. I, I'll hold my hands up. I don't think it was a penalty. You know, I've, mm. I'm, I'm hating how often Hibs are winning penalties this season. <laughs> and just how controversial they all are. Because so many of them have been 50-50s. This, for me, just wasn't a penalty. I think Hibs were lucky to get it. Obviously, Martin Boyle dispatched it with ease and did quite a funny celebration, drinking water at the side of the pitch. But... In my eyes, again, it was a, it was a decent performance, a good penalty taken, a, a bad penalty earned, I guess that was the way I would mm. say it. But yeah, I, th- I think the way you said it, getting the monkey off the back is, is perfect. You know, Hibs have struggled against St. Johnston, no matter how many times they were the favourites going into the fixture in recent times, they just find a way to lose it, you know, snatching, vic- snatching defeat rather from the jaws of victory. But this time they, they managed to get the win. And I think that shows the progress that Hibs are making under Jack Ross this season. You know, still only one defeat all season and it was in a European tie. Things are looking good at the moment, and again, that's one of these sort of it's it's not a it's not a tough tie in terms of the quality of the team, but it's one of those ones where it's a mentality thing. You know, you just you just can't seem to find a way past St. Johnson, and the fact that you've finally gotten over that hurdle, I think, is absolutely massive for this team. No, definitely agree with what you said there. I mean, Cam, can I Jack Ross coming out after the game, and he was saying that uh, where are my notes here? Sorry, uh, it was he, he said that Jamie McCart really couldn't have done much else about it, and and conceding a penalty. I mean. Martin Boyle's what two yards away and takes a point blank shot at, directly at the defender and uh, is rightly brings his arm up to kind of protect his face and obviously can his back off him referee was a penalty. I mean, he did say that it just kind of needed a, a little bit of fortune in order to actually get a get a goal or get a result in that game. And I mean, there have been a few chances beforehand, but it just did seem to be a case that uh, it was going to take something of a miracle-esque uh, status. I'm not entirely sure if that's exactly the terminology I'd want to use, but just that mm. little bit of luck it would have taken for Hibs to actually break down what was supposedly a very compact St. Johnson side. As a Hearts fan, 
I would call it outright cheating. But yeah, more than likely it's just it's just one of those things. They got a bit fortunate. Uh, like I said, it's a break of the hoodoo and it's it's not being broken in the best way, but at the end of the day, the Hibs fans really care. It's three points. Um I think it's true and saying it's just one of those things. You get the win. Jamie McCart getting sent off later on probably didn't help them um, mm. get back into the game for the Saints. And I'm more worried about what it does for the Saints next week. So I think they have Dundee. And, yeah, um, Dundee. Yeah. I think without Jamie McCart, they've just lost Jason Kerr. Defence still isn't completely up to scratch. If they drop points to Dundee, then I, I'm, I'm not worried for St Johnston in any sense of going down or anything. It's way too early to talk about that. But mm-hmm. it's one of those things where St Johnston probably been probably should have been trying to push on the season. Um, but those two losses to the team and little suspensions and injuries like this will hold them back and I just worry that it's going to be a really boring season for them and they're going to finish ninth or 10th and mm-hmm. we're not going to see much of them for another few years I was, I was just wondering I know you have a thought I wanted to ask Struan Jack I've noticed that in the last two games they missed more for the Dundee United game that Scott Allen's come back in it's not really something I thought I'd see happen after yeah. Scott Allen mm-hmm. might be done at Hibs but that's two games and last weekend Dundee United they seemed to be a talismanic figure on the side that got you through to the semi-final what's he brought in the last week or so that has been missing from Hibs? I think it's that creativity from midfield mm-hmm. I mean Hibs have got a lot of quality in the midfield so far McGuinness has started really well as has Jake Doyle Hayes you know you talk about the likes of Gogic from last season and Joe Newell as well who scored midweek in the cup fixture but None of those players are number 10s who are going to really bridge that gap between the strike force. And we've seen Kevin Nisbet this season hasn't quite been the same. And a lot of the the attacking output is put on Martin Boyle this season. And obviously he's been fantastic. Jamie Murphy's injury doesn't help that either, nor does James Scott, the new signing. So I think the way Scott Allen has come in has sort of been to do with the fact that no one else is performing. Because we saw the, the transfer deadline day, the fact that Dre Wright and Scott Allen were going to be used in a deal for Jamie McGrath which then completely didn't happen. And I think a lot of people after the last season as well, when Scott Allen was on loan at Inverness Cali, that his, his Hibs career was kind of over. You know, he's, he's obviously had health issues as well. But it's, it's just great to see him back in the team. And he's getting so much praise because he really is making a difference. You know, I think, as you say, he looked finished in a Hibs shirt, but now he's, he's one of the most important players coming into these fixtures. Excellent. Thank you. Hey, there we go. Fantastic. Uh, Graham, I, wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to come to you just on... Uh, on St Johnson, of course, they kind of seem to potentially have turned the corner the last two. I mean, they got a good win uh, against Aberdeen, and then obviously defeating Dundee in the cup as well. But then coming into this one, it was just it kind of it could happen for them again. This could be the perfect opportunity for them to build on those two results. But Hibs managed to get the result in the end. But coming up in the next two weeks, they've got Dundee and Livingston both at home before a trip to Celtic. And I know Cam said it's very early to even be considering it, but you would have to think they kind of need to pick up wins in the next two games to really get themselves away from what's going to be a very precarious position going forward. Well, you think they would, but I think for the most part, St. Johnson will be fine. But they haven't had, really had, they think of the way, but the thing about St. Johnson as a team is they will be in every single game this season. They are never out of it. Like They just are the experts in this league of making things rough and dirty and tight it happened yesterday it happened against Rangers as well that's two sides mm-hmm. that, are, that are better than them talent wise that they managed to make it very very close and kind of nervy for that team even if they're not creating an abundance of chances they just they make the game scrappy and so with that they will be fine they will get their share of results it kind of is like the the juxtaposition of mm-hmm. like what can happen when you're what can happen when you're a team like that. You're gonna lose some close ones, but if you keep keeping it close every game, eventually the results will go your way. So I'm not worried about St Johnston at all no. as a relegation candidate. Yeah. Although I would like to see them 
improve a little bit. So from that standpoint, the next level games are important if they want to get back to levels that they showed at the end of last season. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, just another note from this game, just before we move on, uh, it was a bit of a milestone for Captain Liam Craig as he equalled uh, St Johnson's record appearances, uh, 441 games for the midfielder at the club, uh, equaling, what's his name, Stephen Anderson uh, at the top of the pile. So congratulations to him. If he is listening, of course, we know how many listeners we get on this podcast. It's a, it's a ridiculous number. So we're, we're assuming Liam Craig's in there somewhere. So congratulations to him. Uh, Graham, we're going to come to Rangers now. I'm sure you're going to be delighted to hear that. Uh, it was a 1-0 victory away at Dens for uh, Rangers on Saturday afternoon. Uh, really nicely well taken goal from Arriba, a nice ball over from Morelos. Uh, obviously, the kind of biggest talking point again from this one was a penalty from a former Hibs man, Jason Cummings. Uh, contention over the penalty, we never really like to talk about refereeing decisions or isolate them on this podcast, but I mean, there was a lot of contention around it. So, just very quickly, each of you, penalty, yes or no? Yeah, it's a 100% penalty. Yeah, I, I think the debate is possibly more should it have been a red card, but with the double jeopardy rule. I don't think it can be, but for me it was a penalty. I grieve is true, and there is no debate. It was a penalty, but double jeopardy rules it out. <laughs> Congratulations to the referee who got it spot on. Lovely. That's what I don't like talking about referee decisions, but when he gets it spot on, let's praise the guy. Praise him, well done. What do we know the referee's name? I, I was it Big Bobby? Was it Bobby? Jimmy Bobby? Bell. Was Jimmy Bell? Jimmy Bell. Jimmy, Jimmy Bell's a referee. I'm not entirely sure about that one. <laughs> I'm not sure Jimmy Bell's been into refereeing in the last couple of days. Who was the... I can't see even the referees. I don't actually keep yeah, track no of the referees. Or who cares? It was Bobby Madden. Graham was right. Let's go. There's <laughs> another, another victory. There you go. I should remember the guy when he's got a bald head. He <laughs> fair, fairly... He stands at a fair bit. Let's say that much. Uh, but, I mean, you, you could have took this game in and you weren't massively impressed with the performance that Rangers put on, Graham. It was the same Rangers performance that they have put on for the entire season so far it was scrappy, it was sloppy they looked nervy at the back they looked slow in attack and despite all that they snuck out a win it was not good at all there wasn't really anyone apart from little Johnny Lindstrom who's starting to show some signs that maybe he won't be the Premier League flop this season he was our best player on Saturday but for the rest of the team it was just so lethargic in particular Connor Goldson who is the referee's decision got the brunt of that, but Goldson's defending a Paul McMullen is abysmal. He just lets some tries to shield him, McMullen just runs past him, and Goldson's completely out of the play. So, it's, it's, it's not, I don't really have much to add in Rangers, because mm-hmm. really every single week they're the Seems same to be the same team. story, yeah. They're the same team, they're sloppy, but they'll pick up the one because ultimately they have enough to have a little bit of quality in the game that separates the sides. They're top of the league but we shouldn't be secure. I know some people are celebrating and we'll come on to the other side of Glasgow result, which is why they're celebrating. Mm-hmm. But at some point, Rangers are going to have to play... Not even, they don't even have to be the Rangers of last season. They need to play like the Rangers of like the start of Stephen Gerrard's tenure. Like, that? Even that team are better than this Rangers team, to be honest with you. It's like, that's how bad it's been mm-hmm. performance-wise. So that needs to change. And I'm, the more longer it goes on, the more worried I'm thinking it might not. Mm. But... Surely, at some point, it's got they've got to click into gear. I mean, you would like to think so. I mean, the standards that they set for themselves last season obviously were incredibly high, and I feel like it has been the likes of Goldson and Tav who just haven't hit those same heights uh, throughout this entire campaign. I think Tav's kind of had his moments, but Goldson just kind of does not seem to be gaining any plaudits from my point of view. Anyway, so mm. that's going to need to 
change if Rangers are going to want to get back to any sort of the force that they were last season. I it's, a, it's a collective thing, though. I mean, I went mm-hmm. to, I've watched the games, but you get you get a different sense of it when you go to see them live. I got the same as Scotland when I played Moldova last year, last day month. Mm-hmm. I went to see the Rangers Leon game, and I, could, I was initially straight, almost straight away. I was like, compa- I compared it to the last Europa game I went to, which is the Braga game two years ago. Mm-hmm. And the difference in pace of Rangers attack and play live was quite jarring it was right like, the, when Rangers played Braga they were quick they didn't play well for like 60 minutes but they were quick in the ball they played Morelos through he was strong Morelos would keep it up and they were a constant threat there isn't that happening it feels like so many of the, our attacker players are getting played into the balls on the feet the guys are with the back to the goals and somebody's just hoping that they can play in mm. like a, an ambitious pass but it's, there's no thought behind it it's just hitting, almost hitting hoping away there's just like doesn't seem to I don't know if it's a confidence issue because or it's a I'm starting to think that maybe there's a little bit of fatigue from last year still okay but like that's their main issue I, I was really struck when I saw them live how slow the attack and play is compared to previous seasons I've been to games live do you think there is an element of complacency potentially coming off it but I mean I know we've discussed it before but I mean kind of the longer it goes on the more you kind of potentially consider the, the question I suppose it could be I mean the reality of these situations is it's never fully one reason mm. and complacency could absolutely be one of them particularly from players that I mean last year's title win as I've said is like pretty much the pinnacle of most of these guys career in fact I'd probably say every single one of the guys career that I can think of Yeah. so to come back from that and just do it again is hard but it's not the sole reason there's plenty of other reasons right okay uh, Cam, we'll come to you just coming away from Rangers for a second. Uh, Dundee's search for a win, Dundee's search for another goal. Uh, it just Everything seems to be carrying on, which is exactly what they didn't want to happen. Uh, and, of course, as much as he's been in the news negatively over the last uh, couple of days or so, Lee Griffiths was a bit of a focal point in this match. I mean, he received a lot of the ball and he was really trying to get at the Rangers battling and John McLaughlin. Of course, he was withdrawn uh, midway through the first half with what's been described as a bit of a reoccurring ankle injury from the club. So, I mean, losing the kind of spearhead of the attack early in the first half, I mean, it really didn't do anything for Dundee's chances, did it? No. Well, he was signed to get them the goals, really, isn't it? Because they knew that problem was there. Um, and they, they, to be fair to them, I know obviously the personal issues or whatever, I don't want to get into that, but Lee Griffiths, if you're going to sign a player to get your goals in this league, you sign Lee Griffiths. I mean, he's a brilliant goal scorer. And now they're kind of left short, aren't they? I can't even think of who they've got. They've got McMullen, don't they? They've got McMullen from Dundee United now. Mm. Um, who else have they really got up top? Kelly and Sheridan. Sheridan and Jason Cummins, I suppose. Don't think the first one counts. And um, <laughs> Jason Cummins is... <laughs> yeah, Jason Cummins maybe could get goals. I thought he'd do quite well at Dundee, but it's like he's had some glimpses, but otherwise he's kind of retained that sense of inconsistency that's followed him throughout his career. So, um, Yeah, it's a big worry for Dundee because I think the rest of their team as unremarkable as it is, is solid enough to keep them in the league. Mm-hmm. But, because let's be honest, there was only one goal Rangers scored, and it was a really well-worked goal. I don't know who got the assist, but Joe Rebo. Morelos, uh, yeah. finish. Morelos, fantastic. A brilliant ball for him, great goal from Rebo. Not much many teams could do against that sort of mm-hmm. attack. Um, but, yeah, it's a it's a worry for Dundee, definitely, because that's a, maybe nowadays a 10 to 15 goals a season striker with another injury that won't seem to go away. And um, that's a lot of goals you're missing over the whole point, uh, whole course of a season. No, absolutely. Uh, Graham alluded to it. We've got another result in Glasgow to cover, and it's the reason why some Rangers fans were celebrating uh, last night. Celtic drawing one all at home to Dundee United. 
Uh, another Ian Hart's goal after his goal that won them the derby. He managed to really power a really nice header past, uh, past the Celtic goalkeeper and uh, seal a point for the Arabs away in Glasgow. Graham, I know you were potentially probing when you did ask this question in the group chat yesterday and directed it to Amy Canavan. But is it time to start asking questions? Yeah, this it's absolutely time to start asking questions about Ange Ball. Now, by the way, can we give you that? I I am already <laughs> sick of all these like manager ball like names. Manager balls. balls. Yeah. I hate yeah. it. I hate it's it. bad. I hate, it's oversaturated. I, I see Ange Ball as a kind of a in a sarcastic way, but yeah. like it's been established like across like Europe. Nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> we, do have, we do have to start questioning stuff. They have some injury concerns, but you're Celtic. You shouldn't be. Celtic and Rangers don't get to complain about injuries. It's not as if like, they're playing Livingston away, who hadn't who'd picked up a point. And then Dundee United side, who are very sturdy and proved that again, they've been solid defensively. But have scored four goals this season. They've scored four goals this season so far. There is no way in hell that Celtic should be conceding to a team like that, mm. even with all the death problems. I just think we can say, oh, it's rebuilding. There's lots of good signs, and there has been lots of good signs from Poster Colley. But there's a difference between rebuilding and good signs and picking up one point from Dundee United and Livingston. And people do need to start asking questions about him. And I think for me, the question I ask is. Where's his adapting? Why is he not adapting to, to mm-hmm. anything? He's sticking with plan A. He's, and if plan A doesn't work, we try plan A again. And I think people do need an alternative if things aren't going your way. Or if you can't fit in the personnel. Mm. I mean, we know Celtic's midfield is a pressing midfield. And in that pressing the midfield, he played injury-prone James McCarthy and... Tom Roggett and David Turnbull, who are two guys that really get subbed off after 70 minutes. Yeah. Why is he still playing with the same press and intensity as a midfield? Because those guys can't do that for the full complement. So it's stuff like that that need to be questioned. Like I said, there are still lots of positive signs and we're still very early in the season. Absolutely. But to say that it didn't be questioned, to me, is just kind of like completely like a loving from Celtic fans. Like a refusal to admit that things aren't going the way they wanted. I think... It could potentially be a case of just things seem to be so much less toxic just in the way that Ange carries himself compared to what Lennon did uh, towards the back end of his Celtic career. I think Celtic fans are just happy that things seem to be a the bit atomic, happier. Atom- I don't know, it's it's odd. Jack, the atomic bomb was less toxic compared to Neil Lennon's <laughs> last six months. <laughs> could we quote that? That is, that is a very fair point. No, I think, I think that, 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 that'll that ring true as a good quote, actually, yeah. So there's that... There is that. There absolutely is that. I don't know. You, you, are, you, you are right in a sense. I agree with you. I just wanted to... Make the point. <laughs> state that it's not like... It's not a glowing... To be, like yeah. admired. No, to I get better you. Better than Neil in Celtic atmosphere. No, I do, I do get that. Absolutely. Uh, Struan, Graham mentioned there are some positive notes and of course there are with the Celtic team and nonetheless some of the signs that have been made. And I know there's been a lot of kind of coverage of Kyogo Furuhashi and rightly so because he's been electric since signing but... I don't know. I think people potentially could be undervaluing uh, what Leila Bada has brought to this side. I mean, I, 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 very, I don't really keep up in, incredibly well with whoever scores every Celtic goal, but just, it kind of seems to be every weekend he's popping up with another goal off the right-hand side. 
I think Lee Levada has been one of, if not Celtic's best player this season, to be honest. I think he's been absolutely fantastic. He's still only 19, mm. and he's basically locked in that right-wing position for himself. You know, I think a lot of fans want to see um, Jota, the new signing from Benfica, on loan over on that right-hand side, but I think he's going to have a very tough task to displace Abada. You know, at the very start of the season when things were bleak for Celtic, he was the one turning up. You know, he was looking good, and it, yeah. it has come to the point where... Before Furuhashi was scoring the goals, he was Celtic's best attacker, and you could argue he still has been. I mean, we've seen Giacomakis come in. I don't know if he's actually a real person or not. Who's that? Well, well, that's that's up for debate, to be honest. But I think Abada is definitely... He's, he's just been relied on a lot more than I think people were necessarily thinking. And obviously, he didn't really come in with a reputation to Celtic. You no. know, They haven't signed the biggest and best players, but you think like of Joe Hart, James McCarthy, Carter Vickers, you know, Starfeld being a Swedish international, all of these players have that backing, you know, Kyogo Furuhashi we didn't really know much about, and he surprised us, and I think Abad is the exact same, and he's a bit of a breath of fresh air in the Celtic team as well, to be honest. Mm. No, I definitely agree, I mean, it just seems to be like, everyone just seems to be undervaluing him, I don't know, uh, I think he just does deserve a little bit more credit than he's currently receiving uh, Cam another player that was taking a lot of credit in uh, this game was uh, Jando Fuchs in the Dundee United midfield and I mean well he stood out a lot in terms in terms of everyone who watched the game it just seemed to be another really competent team performance and as much as they haven't scored a lot of goals and they haven't really conceded as much either uh, Thomas Coates does seem to be putting together a side that can play some good football yeah Look like just a solid enough team. Don't like I'm not expecting fireworks from them, to be honest. Um I don't expect them to push for top six or whatever, but I'm certainly calling them safe already. Um they play good football as well, it seems like. If I had one way to describe Dundee United over the past I honestly don't like five years mm-hmm. even in the lower leagues. I describe it as like when you go on FIFA and it's like the it's like the default tactic. Like everything's <laughs> balanced yeah. and there's no pressing, there's no sitting deep, they're just nothing. Like they just they were so boring to watch and just Genuinely, I can't explain it. It was just like a void of football. Like they were just so they were like the Stoke City of football, but they didn't even have long throws or like punting the ball long. They were just nothing. And now they might actually be worth actually watching. Um, I know the Dundee derby recently maybe <laughs> didn't show that to people that viewed it on the telly, but no, it seems like they've got quite an exciting team and they've got so many youngsters. Obviously, Tam Court's worked with in the past, so he'll know how to get the best out of them. Um, some new signings as well, and also like you say, Giandro Fruits seems to be like a kind of new. I don't know, I don't want to say any comparison, like a Glenn Camara type and that mm. he could take a step up for a small fee and do even better and kick on. Um, yeah, just an all-round team, like a solid team just now. And uh, as long as their youth and experience doesn't get in the way, then I think they'll have a solid season to build on with a quite exciting young manager. It, it's that point you made there, Cam. I mean, I think from what Dundee United fans are following on Twitter, it just seems to be the case that they're not expecting to see Fuchs stay longer the next summer, so they're just appreci- appreciative sorry, of the man while they've got him. At yeah, Tanadice, uh, a couple, of, a couple of like small points to back up the guys. Uh, Fuchs getting a move. Fuchs like Camara that year is out of contract in next summer, mm. so he could go in January for small money, and he could go yeah. to a bigger club. Though I feel like something maybe wouldn't go to Scotland; he'd go to England. Uh, mm-hmm. Dunderated played well yesterday and should have had a penalty. One of the most stonewall penalties not given I've seen this season. Carter Vickers just absolutely floors Nicky Clark in the box, and then on Celtic's depth thing as we were saying. Can't be good for them to see that Ryan Christie had two assists for Bournemouth on Saturday, mm. and one of them was, one, was lovely, lovely, wasn't it? Oh, it was delicious. Yeah, Del- not often you can say something in football is delicious. This must be nice for you. You can actually appreciate Ryan Christie now. Well, he's I, not a I, I, I love Ryan. I think Ryan Christie's 
class footballer. I've, mm. I've said this for ages. I just have to reel it in when he's on the opposition team. I think Christie's one of Scotland. I'm thinking he's one of Scotland's best players. I think people hate him just because he hits balls 40 yards over the bar, which is like, that's funny. He's a good part. <laughs> He's a good player, and he's a good player. <laughs> he provides you respect. Exactly, you do need to respect him. He commits to the pattern, and that's what a lot of players don't do anymore, so you need to respect him for that. Uh, we're going to cover one more game in Scotland before we move down south, because it was actually quite a big weekend in England with a fair few bit things to talk about, and we're already 40 minutes in, so we should probably try and wrap up Scottish coverage, but it was another damaging weekend for Stephen Glass and Aberdeen as they went to St Mirren Park and lost 3-2. Uh, Massive, massive three points for Jim Goodwin's side. Uh, the, young, the young striker getting two goals. Connor, what's his last name? Randall, is it? Co- no. Used to play Rohan. Rohan, Connor <laughs> Rohan, thank you. And he was, I don't, I, know, don't think you're allowed to ring, that's for sure. No, absolutely not. Uh, you knew that anyway. Uh, of course, he got two goals and uh, and it was made a third. Who got the third? I've not prepared for this at all. I'm just... No, that's disgraceful. You should be sacked. Um, I'm on my way out, Graham, to be honest. Even like, though I don't know who it is myself. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. It was well, somebody Saint McGrath assist. It was a McGrath assist. Curtis Saint Mayne. Saint goal. Curtis Mayne. Yeah, it was Curtis, Curtis Mayne. There you go. <laughs> and I, I, that was a bit of a howler from Joe. That was embarrassing. That was terrible. That was terrible. Uh, Anyway, we'll just move on because no, I can't be bothered cutting it in the in the edit. So <laughs> we'll just move on and we'll accept the fact that I know nothing. Uh, Struan, we've talked about this a lot over the last kind of week or so about Stephen Glass and Aberdeen, but this was the game that they really needed to pick up a positive result in, and they just didn't. It was a bit of a horror show. Yeah, just another bad result from Aberdeen, to be honest. And it's Saint Mirren's first win of the season. You know, a lot of Aberdeen fans were a bit worried coming into the scene that St. Mary have not won all season and they'll come to Aberdeen and they'll win. And that's exactly what they did, to be honest. I mean, coming into this game, I think I don't think Aberdeen have won at St. Mary in about four years or something ridiculous like that. It's, it's quite a long time mm. since Aberdeen have won in Paisley, but it's, it's just... I, don't, I just don't know what to say about Aberdeen at the moment, to be honest. You know, I coming into this season, I thought their transfer window was absolutely incredible. That'll be Stephen Glass phoning me to give him some tips or something like football, but... <laughs> To be honest, I just I just don't know where Aberdeen go from here. And I know I know I'm making this sound terrible, but they've still got to play Hibs, they've still got to play Rangers, they've still got to play Celtic before the fixtures even refresh. And they're not they're not keeping clean sheets despite the fact that they've signed a plethora of defenders and defensive midfielders. You know, I, I thought Declan Gallagher on a free was one of the most interesting signings coming in this season because obviously we've seen how well he's performed for both Scotland and Motherwell. And he's been pretty terrible. I mean, I know Andrew Considine did pick up a bad injury at the start of the season, but one injury to a player shouldn't completely just nullify that defence. And Joe Lewis himself has been absolutely atrocious. The fullbacks, Jack McKenzie and Calvin Ramsey, deserve a lot of praise. Two youngsters, they've been the bright sparks for this Aberdeen team. But, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the fact that they can't keep clean sheets. They, they're not scoring goals either. You know, Christian Ramirez looked great at the start of the season. But other than that, Ryan Hedges is the only goal threat. You know, we've seen um, Austin come in. I, I can't remember what his first name is. Apologies. Who's come on loan from Wolves. We've seen the Jet up front as well. None of them are really producing. And they've also got an issue in midfield. I mean, I think Matty Longstaff on loan from Newcastle. I keep saying this, you know, they keep signing players who I think on paper, yeah, that's excellent. But I don't know how they're supposed to fit Lewis Ferguson, Ojo, Scott Brown, Matty Longstaff into this midfield and, and keep them all happy because Scott Brown is going to play no matter what happens. You know, he's the captain now. 36, it's just, it's just difficult. I mean, Lewis Ferguson as well. I just don't think he's been good this season. I don't know if his head's elsewhere. He's gotten the call to the national team now. He's maybe thinking that he's above Aberdeen. I mean, he's linked with Rangers constantly. 
obviously he's got family ties as well I don't know how much longer he's going to be at Aberdeen for it's it's just a difficult one I still think Stephen Glass deserves time I don't think you give that manager that kind of backing to sack him by October you know a lot of people are saying that he's going he's going to be gone quickly and they never would have stood for these kind of results after Derek McInnes but they're not going to suddenly give up on this project with Stephen Glass just because things haven't started that well you know I think he'll get the entire season and I think that's fair but at the moment, there's just so many issues for Aberdeen. And it's, it's all over the pitch, as I said. You know, Joe Lewis has been poor. The defence can't seem to buy a clean sheet. The midfield is just not linking up well at all. And, and nobody's scoring goals. It's, it's it's hard to really come up with positives for Aberdeen at the moment. <laughs> Damn. Wow. <laughs> Eviscerated. That Evicted. Was... Well, Aberdeen, Aberdeen of... must leave the Big Brother house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember at the start of the season when they beat uh, Hacking and everybody, including myself, was quite upbeat about Aberdeen and thinking this Stephen Glass football is going to be good because Derek McInnes' football at Aberdeen, yeah, it got the results and it, it kept a lot of clean sheets, but it was just so boring to watch. And it looked like Stephen Glass was going to play attacking football and they started off well in Europe, but it's just it's just gone downhill, to be honest. It it was a roller coaster a bit that's just gone straight down, to be honest. I can't remember what the the one in Alton Towers is called that's just a vertical drop. That's Oblivion. Oblivion, it is. That's <laughs> the orange one. You think, I, you think I know football? If you want to talk about Alton Towers for two hours, I can fucking do it. Uh, we are we are going to talk about Rita in a minute after this, but um, yeah, it's it is that's what it is. It started off high and it's just gone straight down, and I think Oblivion's quite a fitting name as well at the moment. I think Aberdeen will recover. I keep saying this every time they have a poor result. I think they will get better. You know they've got a good track record against the old firm at times. Maybe that'll be the the kickstarter that they need, but. Yeah, at the moment I'm just struggling to come up with positives for Aberdeen, which is ridiculous considering a month ago I was very scared that Martin Boyle was going to sign for them, and now I don't think that would happen at all. Well, I think the last thing to play Scott Brown no matter what, that worked out really well for them, so it's a good strategy for Aberdeen to employ to do the exact same thing as that team. Good for them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I I don't really know if we can cover Aberdeen anymore because Strune has just (laughs) buried them in their own grave. Uh, Cameron, I suppose the only thing left to say from this game Brilliant result for Jim Goodwin and St Mirren. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still just in shock. That was amazing by Strun. Um That was <laughs> <laughs> genuinely amazing. Uh, yeah, no, it's a brilliant for St Mirren. It genuinely is. I think even Curtis Main getting a goal was a real collector's item for anyone in the stadium because when does that ever happen? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't really have much to say. St Mirren, I feel like I've said it a few times already in this podcast, but they're another team that are just going to be sitting there mid-table and a win here is a really good victory against a, an Aberdeen team that maybe a few weeks ago would be pretty scared of and uh, they've went mm-hmm. out and just took them apart really. Um, I know it was helped by the sending off of Teddy Jenks which I suppose is a good thing for the Aberdeen midfield because they can fit in one of those players Drew was talking about not getting into the team. Maybe um, Longstaff can come in and sort of spark some sort of revival in that team but um, no, good win for St Mirren. I really don't have too much to add. Was it was it their first one of the season? I think, I it, think was. it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was I believe they got to a few draws. Yeah, um, so that's also a major positive. I'm sure that's really good for the fans to see too because maybe if they'd lost that game, that's a big worry to be one of the, well, it would have been three teams if they had still uh, not won a game. So, yeah, no, no, that's it's a brilliant result for them. I don't understand our way to put it. Fantastic. Now, I, we were going to move down to England, but I just completely forgot that we were going to discuss uh, tomorrow's announcement uh, in that Steve Clark is going to name his Scotland squad for to uh, World Cup qualifiers against Israel at a sold-out Hamden, which I cannot wait for, and the oh, Faroe Islands as well. It's a game that's going to be so good, isn't it? Oh, but, but I can't. What's it say I've been for a football game since the last football game I went to? <laughs> 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 oh, mate, it's, it, it's just going to be so good. And it's not even that long away. It's only a couple of weeks away. Oh, 
so I just kind of early early considerations like who do we think makes it in? I mean, is it going to be a much changed squad from the last uh, twenty six that Steve Clark took, or are we expecting any surprise call ups in there? Anyone feel free to shout out a couple of names. It or... will be largely the same squad. Uh, there will be no Greg Taylor because of his injury. Of course. There will be no Lewis Ferguson because Scotty Mack's back. Other than that, no McGregor because of his injury as well, surely. Oh, I didn't think it that could be a issue. Mm-hmm. McGregor was pretty good in the last couple yeah, of Scotland games. Uh, but it will be most. There won't be too many changes, and I'm actually okay with it this time. I wasn't happy with the last squad, but I think this one will be fine. Uh, anyone else feel like there's going to be any surprise options or mainly going to stick the same? Because I think I'd be inclined to agree with Graham on this one, to be honest. I mean, looking at the team that were there, yeah, I, I yeah, can see I just going to be Like, surely he... Paul McGinn won't be staying in. I'd imagine he can as a replacement. <laughs> surely he'll be going back out. But I'd love to see that. Paul McGinn. Um, so there have been more interesting conversation this was last week because Hickey's been doing well in Bologna, but Hickey yeah. got called up to the 21 squad. Yeah. Welsh, Welsh and Ramsey again. I think they're the names that are still floated about as potential cops of Scotland squad. And I thought Hickey with Grey Taylor being out would be the guaranteed to be in the squad yeah. guy. But, mm-hmm. uh, Josh Dyke. <coughs> it could be Josh Dyke. Is, is he in that squad as well? Not the best. Um, is Josh Dyke not in that I think he's in the under squad 21s, well? yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's the um, most of the yeah, yeah, gone. the obvious answers, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned this in the in our Twitter group chat earlier on, and I think this no, is the type no, of... no, you're not bringing that <laughs> yeah, so up again. Just we don't need to discuss this. It doesn't matter. But I'd I'd like cut, to see Tony Watts. <laughs> <laughs> oh bless him, man. Stuart, you'd like to see Tony Watt involved. <laughs> I would. I think Tony Watt deserves a call up. I think if there's ever a time for him to get a call up, he's in good form at the moment. Our strikers are not in good form at the moment. Just, just give him a chance. It doesn't need to get. He doesn't need to make the next squad. He doesn't need to start any games. Just, just have him in the team as an option because currently he's on form, and not many of our other strikers, other than Che Adams and Lyndon Dykes, are on form. And, and even Che Adams isn't really on form at club level either. None of our other strikers, other than two of the three out-and-out strikers that we had in the squad last time, are on form. That's bold. That is a, is a bold statement from you, Garvey. I respect it. But uh, I'm I'm sacrificing, I'm sacrificing Kevin Nisbet in this scenario. Oh, you are? Okay. Is that, that just a purely selfish standpoint of protecting him for Hibs? Well, but, no, but I, I think you can keep him in the squad. I just, I just like to see different strikers used, to be honest, because I think we are struggling to score goals. And obviously... Oh, it's just something different, you know what I mean? I'm, I just want to see a surprise name in that sheet, team sheet that makes us go, oh, wow, Tony Watts there. But then obviously that was... <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. That'd be so funny. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I, I, would, I would hate it, but it'd be quite funny, to be fair. Uh, yeah, suppose we'll kind of cover that more in depth on Thursday uh, with extra time. I think that should be coming back this week. If, if Sean McGill has anything to say about it, I'm sure he will. Uh, we're going to move down south because... There's a lot to talk about from English uh, English football in the Premier League this uh, this week, and I know Graham is very excited about it. Yeah, the English league has been amazing so far. It's been most of the TV games I've watched have been interesting in one way or another. It's just as somebody who hated English football last year, it's really turned the corner this year. We've got the M25 derby tonight, and I'm really excited to watch it, to be honest with you. You never thought you'd say that a year ago, did you? Like, Or even like a few months ago. I'm not even sure I got the right, the right motorway. M23 derby, sorry, I don't know more. The, da- the derby that shouldn't actually be a derby. 
I don't, I don't have my south, my south of England uh, motorways knowledge down as much as I hope for with just Walton Towers knowledge, it's good. It's pathetic. But yeah, it's been, it's been a great league and this weekend had lots to talk about. Where should we start? Let's start with Struan Garvey and uh, Manchester United losing 1-0 to Aston Villa. Even though Bruno Fernandes had a perfect opportunity from the spot to seal a point in the dying embers, but some excellent shithousery from uh, Emi Martinez meant that Fernandes skied his penalty over the bar and Villa claimed all three points and kept their clean sheet intact. Not a great result for Solskjaer against Ruin. No, and in a way I'm happy that Manchester United did miss that penalty in the end. And I know that sounds like a ridiculous thing. Of course thing you are. You know, of course I you are. Hang I hate that. Hang on, hang on. Obviously I do want them to score the penalty, but I'm trying to see the positives because I know I'm very pessimistic with Manchester United. But I think a penalty there would have just disguised a terrible performance in Manchester United. Yet another terrible performance this season. And I think a lot of people have said it. United haven't played well on many occasions so far, even though they are getting the results. And I'm not quite sure what is going on. Because one week, I think Manchester United look excellent, and I think all is clicked. And then the next week, it looks like they're back to square one, and you don't understand what's happening. And I think fair play to Aston Villa. I think they played really well. This season, you know, a lot of people had question marks over how they were going to go without Jack Grealish, and I think they've been really good. And, And it was another really good performance of the weekend. But Man United just weren't at the races, to be honest. You know, there was multiple errors throughout the game... The midfield is just terrible, to be honest. And that's three defeats in Man United's last four games so far. This was a team who, on, on paper, that squad is good enough to compete for the Premier League title. The quality throughout that team is ridiculous. The quality in that defence to have only kept one clean sheet so far this season, in mm. my opinion, is staggering. The options that Man United have up front, and they're still struggling to score goals, in my opinion, is staggering. And that midfield, as I've said, it's just, it's just not good at all. You know, I think there's been quite a few moments this season where I would say individuals have won won Man United games you know I think back to the Wolves game Wolves were all over Man United but David De Gea made a couple of excellent saves and Mason Greenwood just came up with a moment of magic and it's not great when your 19 year old player is doing that and it's the same happened against West Ham you know Lingard scored a goal in the 90th minute that should have won it and United almost threw it away with a penalty had it not been for a De Gea save they then messed up in the League Cup in the weekend fair enough it's a League Cup I don't think it's the highest of competitions and it was a very rotated team Mm. but at the same time, Man United just didn't look good at all without some of the main hitters in that team. And as, as I said, on paper, that depth, that quality should be doing a lot better than it is. It's it's definitely concerning at the moment. Even the fact that Bruno Fernandes missed that penalty, it's, it's not the fact that he missed the penalty, but it's the manner, in my opinion. You know, we've always seen this this run-up that he does. It's a bit like the Jorginho one, you know, the hop, skip and a jump thing, and it normally deceives the keeper. He just sprinted at it and punted it over the bar. And, and while, you know, sometimes it is best to just smash it, I don't know what was going through his head. It was something totally different. I don't know if he's maybe concerned that Ronaldo is breathing down his neck thinking, you know, I should be taking every single penalty because that's obviously a lot of people's perception of Cristiano Ronaldo these days. But it was clear that Bruno Fernandes still had the responsibility and he missed it in the 90th minute of the game. And I just don't know what what Man United improved from here. As I've said, there have there's an injury concern to Marcus Rashford. But other than that, the team is fully fit. And United still haven't played one of the top teams in the Premier League this season. You know, you look around the way Chelsea are playing, the way Man City are playing, the way Liverpool are playing. They've all sort of played each other and played top teams and they're all looking really good. United's best team they've played so far is either Aston Villa or West Ham. And they're playing Villarreal in the midweek and I think that might be the biggest game in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Man United career. Me and Calgary's going, you start shooting the questions. He's done it again. He's he's actually done it again. (laughs) He just stunders all at the silence. 
Just firing shotgun shells into the football world. I think Struan's genuine best analysis comes when he's pissed off at a team. Like It's actually <laughs> unbelievable how good he comes across when he's angry or annoyed at a team that he had good opinions of. That's, again, fantastic stuff. I have to say, Struan, though, the worst thing to come out of that game was the two-page statement issued by Bruno Fernandes to apologise just... for missing a penalty, which is potentially one of the worst things I've seen this year. I'm concerned about how toxic social media might have been that day because I didn't I didn't really look at the in the replies to the Man United post because quite often these football Twitter accounts are just horrendously unfunny and just I don't really understand them. But I don't know if he was just getting a lot of abuse and he decided that you know he wanted to explain himself and apologize. I, I just don't think it's necessary. Do you know what I mean? You missed a penalty. That doesn't matter. Do you, do you know what I mean? The Man United didn't lose that game because Bruno Fernandes missed a penalty. Man United lost that game because they were shite. It, it doesn't matter if he <laughs> if if scored the penalty or not. Do you know what I mean? Why why does Fernandes take responsibility for that loss? That's absolutely ridiculous. H- Harry Maguire was limping for ten minutes before Solskjaer took him off last season. Harry Maguire's injury arguably cost him the Europa League, and he was. I just don't understand it. Man United have options in defence now. They've signed Rafael Varane, and now you have Victor Lindelof, etc. And he didn't bring him on. Diogo Dalo came on left back. Are you crying? <laughs> I am. It's, it's, I'm laughing, bro. A little bit. <laughs> um, no, but I think I just I just don't understand why um, Fernandez has had to do that. You know, obviously I want to defend him being a Manchester United fan, but at the same time I remember Sergio Aguero did the same thing at the tail end of last season, and then I thought it was ridiculous. You know, you missed a penalty. Who cares? Do you know what I mean? Fair enough. You do, clearly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Stuart, Stuart, my team lost 1-0 this weekend as well, and I'm not this triggered. Like, this, is, this is unbelievable. Your team won the Champions League recently. You've, you've had positive moments. Oh, yeah. my team. Um, you got to Europa League final. Woo! But uh, oh, speaking, speaking of penalties in the Europa League final. Oh, no. Uh, no, but yeah, it's, I, I don't think he needed to make that apology. I think even if he, even if he just like put uh, put on an Instagram post or a tweet like any other player would do and say sorry, hold my hands up, should I buried it, move on to the next. Like mm-hmm. I don't see why it needed two separate written images. Like it was just like, had a pure what do you call it? A pure ghostwriter. Is that what you oh, call fully, it? Oh, like, fully, yeah, yeah. I yeah. genuinely believe, yeah, I believe someone else has like looked over that and just added <laughs> Ronaldo. It, it became a novel. <laughs> yeah, Ronaldo, I'm telling you, gunpoint mate. He was behind him making him scribe that whole message because I'm whispering. I think they just do it out of fear that they'll get abused on Twitter and stuff. And that, if that's the case, that's a shame. But if Bruno's actually went and just went, oh no, I'm going to write this apology. Shouldn't he be allowed to play a game? Simple as nah, that. No, just ban him. Ban him for the season. Ban him. Yeah. Complete ban. Absolutely. I reckon, yeah. Okay, that, that's the solution we've come to. Uh, right, let's move on before Struan actually bursts a blood vessel. <laughs> uh, Graham, I'll come to you because you took this game in. Uh, my team Chelsea lost this weekend against uh, fellow title hopefuls Manchester City 1-0. Uh, in what was pretty much a game of two halves, again, the first half was almost unwatchable and then the second half just sprung into life. I I am quite concerned for Chelsea after that one. I've been saying for this season that it's their league. They, I think they could even, I thought they could even dominate it because they had no strength and they got bullied. Mm. You, got, you got gutted on Saturday. It was... Comple- well, the first half was poor. There wasn't much in the way of chances. It was very much controlled by City. Yep. Chelsea weren't able to get out. And in the second half, City still controlled the game, but started to make chances. And to be honest with you, the fact that the game was only 1-0 is, is quite generous for Chelsea because this entire game, I thought Manchester City 
showed why they are pro like they are still a force to be reckoned with. Mm. And it's the first game that City have actually had like, all their stars on. I mean, Ford and De Bruyne have just come back from injuries, haven't been at full speed, but they had. You had uh, Grealish, you had Jesus, who's had a good start to the season, you had De Bruyne, you had Foden, you had all those guys out, and I thought that, in, in the, I should actually mention Bernardo Silva, who I thought was probably the man of the match in the game, having those five guys, Chelsea just couldn't get the ball. The talent of them, those guys mm. to keep the ball, was, was magnificent. And City were, um, I thought City were amazing. Last year, City turned their season around at Stanford Bridge against the Front Lampards, won by that 3-1 win. Yes, I have I wonder if this could be the jumping off point again this season. That's how good I thought they were, even though it was a one now. That's what I was so surprised seeing the lineup that we put out just in that in the build up to the game. I mean, seeing the two strikers and then the kind of three a flatter three midfield three mm-hmm. in midfield and that had me worried because I knew how well City could come in and dominate this game from the midfield based on the creative the creative and the pressing and everything that they can do so well in that midfield. And I feel like we were taking the same approach as we were to Spurs, and as we've seen from Spurs this season, they are nothing like Manchester City. I think Chelsea potentially gave Spurs too much credit in that 3-0 win, which says something considering we scored three goals and given too much credit. But the fact that we set up the same way against Manchester City, or a similar way, was really to Chelsea's detriment, because you can't not have someone like Kai Havertz or Mason Mount that's willing to run the channels and break up the lines uh, between the likes of Kovacic and uh, Kante or Jorginho and then Lukaku or Werner who actually started together which baffled me a little bit on the on the day but yeah, there was no link but there's no yeah. link between your midfield and your strikers which Kante is, was the, the creative midfielder in that game which just yeah. which considering great. the way that Chelsea set up the way that Chelsea plays so deep and so defensive you need to have that link and the fact that there wasn't one just basically gave the game to City from the, from the get go and I know there wasn't really much in terms of chances first half but the fact that there wasn't really any change to that in the second really just gave the game to City allowed them to grow into it and allowed them to carve out the opposition and really make the game their own and I feel like it's a really poor result for Tuchel to take and I feel like it's one that he's going to need to bounce back from because we've seen him get uh, the upper hand against teams in the past where people potentially expected him not to but I feel like it was a lot more of a level playing field between the two coming into this one and it might the pendulum might have swung more towards Chelsea and it's the first time that Chelsea have kind of beat, performed below expectations in a game that they were expected to dominate under Tuchel. I know you could probably point on another couple of examples that come to mind. I mean, West Brom last season at home was just an absolute travesty. But again, it's one that might kind of spring a few questions and think about the fact that Chelsea aren't as impenetrable as they came across or have come across so far this season. And I think it's going to take a little bit to get some fans back on side because... Of all fan bases in England, Chelsea's tend to be the most fickle, potentially, you could say, like, up there with the likes of United and Arsenal. So I think there's going to need to be some reparations made over the next few games, and especially considering this week Chelsea are playing Juventus in the Champions League. So that, again, is a massive game, and it's going to be interesting to see how Tuchel does set up for it. Can uh, I just say as well, in that game, yeah. Cancelo playing at left-back was unbelievable. I feel like um, he can just slot in either side. Like, he's going to be good regardless ridiculous of Ridiculous on both flanks. Anyway, we'll, we'll move away from my doom and gloom because it ten, tends to be what I like to do when talking about Chelsea, unfortunately. But, uh, Graham, I'm going to stick with you because Liverpool played out potentially the game of the weekend against uh, Brentford. The game of the season so far. Get, yeah, I mean, yeah, fair abs- absolutely fair to say. Three all between Liverpool and Brentford. And I think the manager summed it up best by the way they were kind of conducting themselves on the timelines. Anytime something were to happen in the game, they would just turn to each other and puff out their cheeks in disbelief, just take a sigh between themselves 
just based on how mental that game was. Do you, I mean, try and sum it up for us if you can. It, it was it was a wonderful game of football. Not so much of your support one of the teams, but it was two teams that just never stopped trying to go forward. It was like there was some wonderful attack and play. Two quite different styles. Liverpool with a more patient build up. Brentford with a direct style to Tony and Wemo, who I'm going to we're going to get to Tony and Wemo. <laughs> and it just the two counting each other so well, like the two counting each other so well to make such an excellent game. It felt like it was such a high quality game of football. It wasn't. Some of the goals were a bit scrappy, but other than that, it was just it was it was, it was a joy of a game of football to watch. It was it was marvelous. Marvellous. Well, talk to us about Tony and Buemo then, because it was what you said when the game was going on, was how scary they were. I've not seen, I've honestly, like, not seen a partnership link up like them this season, at least, and at least for the last couple of seasons. This is uh, Brentford played quite a direct style of football. Did, it was yeah. a lot of the long balled up to Tony, and Tony himself, I've not seen a man bully Virgil van Dijk like that in his entire career in the air. Tony had the beat of him every time. But it's one thing to get give up to a boy and who can head it on, but in Buemo always seemed to be in the right space to collect the second ball from Tony. Mm-hmm. They connected so well. Their their chemistry together I thought was like wonderful to see. I thought it was such an exciting partnership and it caused problems for the entire game. They had good good help from the wing backs, I thought. Enrico Henry and Sergio Cano's coming down both sides as far as an extra threat and they gave quite a lot of decoy runs but what was decoy runs do? They did was just kind of make it like a 2v2 for Embuemo and Tony quite a lot of times and they seemed to have each other's movements down spot on as well it just, it's two players that I thought you can tell they have worked so hard in this partnership and built up such a good rapport with each other it was it, they were they were but my main takeaway from the game, even as a Liverpool fan, was how impressed I was of those two and how much mm-hmm. of a problem they were going to be for every team in the league. And Cam, I think that's the thing. Like, just even looking at the Brentford's last few results and just seeing some of the performances that they've put in, they just seem like they don't care. They've taken a step up into one of the biggest divisions in the world. They just seem to attack every single game with the exact same philosophy and just, we're here to put on a performance. We're going to give it absolutely everything. We don't care how many trophies you've won we're going to treat you the same as we would anyone else. It's really refreshing to see and it's exciting to watch them for what's going to be the rest of the season and hopefully beyond. I mean, out of the three that came up, I would peg them for the ones that more likely to stay up come May. Yeah, uh, sorry if you hear my dog barking in the background here. Um, <laughs> just Yeah, I think so. I think they're basically Norwich City when they came up a season or two back, and uh, but it's worked out for them. They're fearless, uh, completely just ferocious in their play. I don't need to go over what Graham just said because I think he got spot on. Um, I think, yeah, they've just came up with absolutely no fear whatsoever. There's no way promoted team. They, they have a sort of, I don't know, like a charm about them. Just all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Also, we can talk about Moneyball or whatever, but they just have this kind of charm that makes them very likeable. And I think that somehow just sort of powers them as well. Mm-hmm. They, they're there. They're a great community club and it's a great addition to the league as well. A really great addition. I'd love to see them sort of do what Sheffield United did, except, kind of like, I've just said to Norwich, but they actually are successful. They maybe get like a, a top-half finish or something, but they build on it and keep themselves in the Premier League and over the course of time become the sort of a small team that can still, I don't know, just sort of fight against the big boys and push for European spots. And I'm, I know I'm going a bit over the top there, but even if that's just once in every blue moon, that's still mm-hmm. a massive success for a club of uh, 
Brentford's stature and size. So no, I, I totally have breath of fresh air. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Grim. I'll say it now. I'm a, an extra big shout. Wrong podcast for that. But Brentford, <laughs> are, Brentford are safe. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, That's no, it. I would say yeah. so. Yeah, I'd agree with that to be honest. They, they have, like, I know that it was three three, but I thought they have a, they have a good base of those three central defenders, and they have they have international like quality players. Like, yeah. in good teams. Mm-hmm. Like Norgard plays for Denmark quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. And he's at the base of the midfield. It, Brentford are fine. Brentford, Brentford. If they go down, it would, I would be amazed. I'd be really shocked, to be honest. What's great what about um, Brentford as well is the fact that coming into the season, they have next to no Premier League experience in that team. Mm-hmm. They've all come in from the Championship and they're all playing so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't have That's to, right. know, to keep building this, sign 15, 20 players upon arrival to try and compete. They're just sticking by what they do best and it's absolutely terrific. I think Tony as well, the way Graham summed it up between Abraham and Tony was just fantastic. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I can certainly right. say that in term, at least in terms of the London teams, Brentford are not last on that list. <laughs> no, who I think has a chance to go down. <laughs> I, I mean, look, I know, I know, took a loss one game, game, but come on, like, it's, it's not, it's not that bad. <laughs> uh, no, not them, of course. We're talking about Tottenham Hotspur because they got absolutely battered in this, uh, the first North London derby of the season. Arsenal running out. 3-1 winners and what was a really impressive and assured performance from Mikel Arteta's side uh, yesterday evening. Graham, uh, I mean, you were bang on with that. Like Spurs were just absolutely shocking. Like There's no point putting any... No point sugarcoating that at all. They were just dreadful. Spurs are shocking. No, they, were, they were not shocking. They, they are shocking. Let me just read out a couple of stats. Oh, go for it. Hit us with stats. Earlier on. Per game Premier League this season, shots for Spurs, 9.2 per game. That is 20th in the league. 20th is last. That's Ch- <laughs> Chances from open play for Spurs, 5.4. That's also last. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we have shots faced, which is 18 per game. That is second worst in the league. And distance covered, they have they are 99.9, which, is, again, is last in the league. So what we got from Spurs is a team that can't score, can't attack, can't defend and can't run. <laughs> Nuno Ball <laughs> That is alarming in, in a word if you're a sport it's hilarious if you're, if you're a fan of any other kind of larger club or any club to be honest because it's just really funny considering how much Spurs kind of seem to have themselves on it have themselves on a bit of an elevated platform but those stats do not make for nice listening if you're a fan of the club but yeah, it's just it's just jarring because it seemed not so long ago, and it wasn't long ago at all, that Nuno was picking up manager of the month, and I mean that that's the one trophy that Spurs fans have been banging on about that won the league in August. So we'll just just stick with that. But a month's a long time in football, and they're going to be hoping they can get a time machine and get back to August as soon as they possibly can. Looking at it a bit deeper, I think the main issue is unfortunately for him it's Harry Kane. Okay. Harry Kane has checked out. Harry Kane did not expect to be playing for Spurs this season. No, he didn't. And he has not he, he has not influenced any of Spurs games that he's played in the Premier League so far. His head is somewhere else right now. And it happened to I think somebody compared I saw compared to Jaden Sancho, which I thought was a very smart comparison. Mm-hmm. And he thought he was my new bound last year and it took him a while to get back in the swing of things for Dortmund. And it could happen for Harry Kane, but right now Spurs are one of the worst teams in the league. And like the underlying stats show that Spurs are one of the worst teams in the league and fact that their best player and maybe the best player in the Premier League has been uh, abysmal is the primary reason for that. No, I, no, they genuinely are. It's genuinely worrying to see them this bad. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, Struan, Arsenal were great. 
Yeah, Arsenal were absolutely excellent, to be honest. And I think it was refreshing to see just Arsenal play well after how poor they've been this season. You know, a lot of players have received a lot of criticism, as has Mikel Arteta. And what was it, 33 minutes it was already 3-0? Was it that quick? Something ridiculous. Yeah, 34th, like uh, yeah, so not, not far. 34th, yeah, just just a great performance all around. I'm loving seeing the likes of Smithrow and Saka play well. Mm. I, ju- I just like seeing when teams put faith in the youngsters and they perform at the highest level, you know. I, I can't really think of anything else to say about Arsenal at the moment. I think they played really well. Thomas Partey, you can just see the difference he makes in that team when he's fit. I think he is just a level above the midfield that they've had recently. And you can, you know, a lot of people have said, when are we going to get to see Atletico Madrid, Thomas Partey? And I think slowly but surely, if he can stay fit, I think he will come out in this Arsenal side. And, you know, last week, Arsenal played a really attacking team. And it was just refreshing to see that come off. I mean, they only won because of a Martin Odegaard free kick. But at the same time, it's looking good. Things are looking a lot better for Arsenal now that these players are starting to come back. You know, Gabriel's come back into the, to the team. Tommy Yasu has been excellent in every game he's played so far as well. Mm. So... Yeah, positive signs for Arsenal, and this could be one of those victories that properly gets their season up and going. No, As absolutely. to what yeah. their ceiling is, I'm not sure, but yeah. No, I mean, it's a nice Arsenal team. It's a nice Arsenal yes. Actually, looking at it, and like when they're playing well, they can't really go wrong. I mean, it's, it is a nice Arsenal team. They've really kind of transformed that back line. I mean, mm-hmm. comparing it to what it was at the start of the season, it's completely fresh, and it's and, uh, been needed, to be honest. Ramsdale's saving the last minute from a deflected Lucas effort. You haven't seen it. Wow. Really, what a save. and he seems to. He's. I think he's an Arsenal fan. Ramsdale. I know that sometimes that's right. a cliche to say, but I think you can tell how much it means to him. Mm-hmm. And it seems to. He's, he got the transfer fee was criticised, but he seems to have made a good start to his Arsenal career. I mean, you look at the back five that the back four. Uh, the back five actually, including goalkeeper that played against uh, Brentford in the opener, he had Leno, Callum Chambers, Ben White, Pablo Mari, and Tierney, and now it's just Tierney and White that are left from that, and it's. Mm-hmm. A massive upgrade, even though it doesn't potentially look like it. I mean, Tommy Yasu is coming as a, as a relative unknown to those in England, coming in from, uh, was it Sampdoria? Yeah, yeah Sampdoria. Was Sam- it Bologna? Oh, no, it was Bologna, you're right, yeah, Bologna in, uh, in Italy. Ramsdale, obviously, has had his critics over the last couple of seasons, and then Gabriel coming back in from injury, and it just seems to have formed a really, really solid base, and considering how young they all are, I mean, Tierney's the oldest out of the lot of them at 24, the rest are 23 and under, it's providing Arsenal with a really good platform to build on going into seasons ahead, which is massively, massively encouraging. I mean, going forward, that you have, they are better. It's the same going forward. I mean, Thomas Partey didn't show it last year, but I think we all think Thomas Partey is a, is a great holding midfield player in there. I think Zach, I think it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a nut job and a bit of an idiot, but there's, there's, there's like... There's positives to Granite Records play, which we yeah. think were on show, particularly in the Euros, and Arsenal, Arsenal have at times managed to find that have just been a club surrounded in negativity that they've not been able to see it. And then, Saka's a wonder boy still, even though he's 10 out of 10 performance in the Euro 2020 final. Uh, <laughs> it's never not funny. It's say, never say, not say, funny. Say, say the say the say the point and then saying the 10 out of 10 in Euro thing doesn't kind of justify the He's a star. Odegaard is a great signing. Emil Smith-Rowe said yesterday was the best day of his life. Which I can I can understand is, that. Yeah, it's just he got his goal and anything. And then Bamiyang scored goals and he hasn't been used awful last year. But Bamiyang scored goals. There's signs that Arsenal are a cohesive team and most importantly, I'd say for them, there is no Europe this year. They are focused primarily on domestic football and I think that could be a godsend for them. No, absolutely. Uh, I suppose is there anything else we want to round off on in terms of our Premier League coverage before we wrap things up? I think we've kind of ran too long to get a bit of a European overview. So, any final points on the 
the Prem, it's obviously great to see Raul Jimenez back on the score sheet. And what a goal it was as well. Great goal. Long punt, long punt up from uh, Jose Sa. Thank you for that. Fancy points uh, to me. And uh, just really did well to get himself around those Southampton defenders and slot past. Uh, who, play, who played in goal for Southampton yesterday? Was it uh, McCarthy? Alex McCarthy. Paul McCarthy, yeah. I'm uh, really, really well taken goal. Uh, so really glad to see it. Almost an entire year to the day after he scored his last goal. So fantastic to see him getting back in amongst it. When you, when you give me the opportunity to say like one more thing, I need to say three more things. So do it then. Do it. Uh, three, three small takeaways. Uh, one, Leeds West Ham is amazing, uh, and Michael and Declan Rice. He's like I think Declan Rice is starting to become not an overhyped player for me I think he's an absolute fucking world class player becoming a world class wow. player he's not isn't there he's becoming one I think he can he's be one, yeah. amazing at the moment uh, number two uh, Everton uh, looked solid and I think Abdullah Decore might be my player of the season so far in wow. the Premier League. I think he's been that good he's an amazing for Everton he's been pushed further forward and he's the driving force behind that team they're missing with Tarleton and Cabot Lewin they were playing Norwich on Saturday but he has been the focal point Point for them and third point, uh, find the Newcastle commentary from Saturday's game at Watford. They're calling it's good, it's really good. Doesn't I love it. The commentator, they haven't been them tons and tons of chances. Newcastle put it in the back of the net, man. (laughs) Put it in the net. (laughs) Just imagine somebody being like, I'm trying, (laughs) I'm trying. It was was amazing. I I keep watching it mostly on TikTok. Oh, it's so good. I'd, I thought, sorry, when I saw that on TikTok for the first time, I thought it was just once, and then I saw another one where it happened at the other end of the pit, yeah. and I didn't notice it happened more than once. I thought it was just he'd lost it once, but he'd done it more than once, that's a, that's amazing to me. Oh, I was that's outstanding. Cam, anything you want to round up with before no, we finish I, off? No, honestly, I'm happy to, but I didn't see much English football this week, so I'm so pleased to use three of them. Brought me up to date. Drop the English. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. I have seen no football. Let's talk about Bonnery Girls beating East Kilbride. And that's our time. <laughs> <laughs> that is the only life football I've seen this week. I saw the first half of City Chelsea, which was the shit half of that game. So, yeah. <laughs> which is a write off from you for that point on. Yeah, aye. It, it started bad and it went downhill. So, yeah. No, I've got nothing to add. Like, Cam's final point is to get the vaccine. That's get the vaccine. <laughs> Get the vaccine. Do not get COVID. Don't do it. And that's how we bring it home. Uh, thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Football Roundup. Hopefully you're still with us at the 77-minute runtime <laughs> that we're currently sat at. We've been away for a bit. We wanted to catch up and get our get our opinions out there. Of course we did. Uh, make sure to follow us on the socials at... Uh, what are we? <laughs> Split us. <laughs> ENRG Sport on uh, Instagram and Twitter Uh, follow the podcast feed wherever you get yours to make sure new episodes show up in your timeline as soon as we drop them uh, make sure to check out uh, out energysport.net for all of our incredible sporting content we've just passed 30,000 site views for the year and it's all down to every one of you that's been listening and clicking on the article so thank you very very much we're hoping to get that number as high as we possibly can come December 31st so any help you can give us with that is massively massively appreciated what also is massively appreciated is Graham Struan and Cameron joining me this afternoon for the last almost hour and a half of just complete nonsense it's been really good there's been some excellent analysis excellent chat and a couple of meltdowns from Struan which are always very much appreciated considering how calmly he usually carries himself uh, we should be back on Thursday with the Energy Extra Time we're trying to make sure we commit to the two podcasts a week from this point on so hopefully you hear Sean McGill and the rest of the rotating cast uh, this Thursday coming 
But until we see you next, my name's Jack Donnelly. This has been the Football Roundup by Energy Sport. Get the vaccine and we'll see you soon.